Good morning. The Word of God says most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. I want to wish you all a wonderful Palm Sunday. Please take your palms as you leave. Um, these are the things that we have going on at the church this week or around the city for our growth and, and work. And then also, too, we have the baby exchange and also, too, food for the pantry. And if you want to donate an Easter lily, you may uh, for $10 in the name of somebody. And we also have a service on Good Friday morning at 7 o'clock at the West YMCA down on Newell. And we're also beginning a Facebook prayer chain. So if you have any prayer requests, put them on Facebook in our, at our site there in Wichita Harvest. And then also, too, we have our services on through the Internet. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Steve, would you like to share with us what praise him, praise him, who wrote it? Praise him, praise him is another hymn written by Fanny Crosby in 1869. She wrote it to be sung to a tune composed by Chester G. Allen, written that same year. The words to this hymn relate to Psalm 150. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness. This, the last of the Psalms, concludes with, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Everyone, please stand if you can. so blessed that we can bring our confessions to the Lord and they will be forgiven. Please join me in this morning's prayer confession. Sovereign God, God over time and eternity, we praise you for the encounters you plan for us as growth opportunities. Forgive us for not appreciating them, for the times people have insulted us and we got on their level and sparred back for the opportunities to tell people about you, and we have balked on speaking because the way we have acted did not reflect you. We admit there are times we get tired of dealing with certain reoccurring situations, and we just give up on trying to do it your way. It seems so much easier to take a sinful shortcut than to go the long road of loving obedience. Lord Jesus, forgive us and give us a holy endurance that goes the distance. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. <coughs> Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Hebrews 10, verse 10. Under this new plan, we have been forgiven and made clean by Christ dying for us once and for all. 
guidelines for living this morning is from Galatians 6, verse 9. And let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and don't give up. Remain seated or stand as we sing our two praise choruses this morning. So 
You may be seated. At this time, we'll receive our morning tithes and our morning offerings. And Steve, will you read to us about All Glory, Lord, and Honor? All Glory, Lord, and Honor was written in 800 A.D. by St. Theodolus of Orleans. It was translated by John M. Neal in 1854. The lyrics are set to music in 1613 by Melchior Teschner. The hymn is based on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem in John 12, 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much that you sent your son, who deliberately walked that last week through the gates of Jerusalem in order to serve one purpose and one purpose alone, to die for our sins and raise again for eternal life. We just give you praise and glory and honor and thanks for all that you've done for us, for the food, for the clothing, for the wherewithal we have for our lives. We are just so blessed, Lord, and we just give you praise and glory and honor. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Come into the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, this morning we are just so excited and feel so privileged to be in your presence right now, to be able to lay before you all our concerns and our prayers. We pray especially, Father God, for those that we know that are struggling. I pray, Father God, especially for our country and for some of the things that we hear and see and how is very visible on the internet, Lord. I just pray, Father God, you'll give our leaders wisdom, that they will really adapt the hearts of the men and women who started this country and who really wanted to thrive in a God environment. I pray also, too, for the men and women who protect us every day here on our streets and also around the world and protect us from all kinds of evil. Heavenly Father, I lift up to you right now those who we know that are going through difficulties in their life because they used to be able to get around and now they're basically homebound. I think of Bill, strong and physical, and now his Lou Gehrig's disease is grabbing him. I pray for also Lucille and for Karen and for Joyce. And Father God, um, for um, 
and those that we know that are in homes now, nursing homes, that can't get around. We pray also, too, for a man by the name of a man whose son is dying. And I pray also for Josh and his Parkinson's disease. I can pray for Krista and her sickness. I pray for Dr. Bott and his cancer. I pray for Stuart and Carlson and Tammy and for all those that are going through difficulties and for James as they're going through difficulties in divorce and not wanting to be part of that but yet wanting to honor you, Lord, with their marriages and yet that's not happening. I pray for miracles so that you can do, Lord, and change those hearts. I want to pray for those who are battling addiction. I pray for David and for Jordan and for Ryan and for Mitch and for uh, another young man that Lord is battling right now that you'll open up his heart. I give you praise and thanksgiving, Lord, for my granddaughter that was born on Friday and for little Piper. And for her and her sister Marin and also to her mom and dad as they make the adjustment and as they raise her in the love of Jesus Christ. I pray also too, Father God, for uh, the difficulties that we go through in life, Lord, and for your blessings that you give to us also. We pray, Father God, for those that are going through difficulties right now in their own lives, with children that are in rebellion, children that are struggling in their lives, for marriages that are struggling, and for also for those who are battling illnesses. I think of Todd and his heart situation, for his wife Angie who has cancer, and for little Samantha for her brain that she has cancer in it. I pray for um, Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Mark, uh, who's uh, battling his brain cancer too, Father God, and has stopped the chemotherapy. All these people, Lord, and more that we know that have trials in their life, Lord, just be with them and give them the strength they need. But also, we plead to you for their healing. We pray, Father God, too, for Jason, who also found out to have cancer. And I pray for those who are retiring too, Lord, that are making adjustments in their lives and to new adventures in their life. I just pray that you'll be with them and guide them. And now, Father God, we come to you for your word. We know that out of all this world and all the craziness that we always come back to your word and it's the stable diet that we need to hear every day that we need to hold our lives together and with our families and children and our grandchildren. We are living in a world, Lord, that you know, and as you said, to, through the Apostle Paul, that people will call good evil and evil good, and they'll call lies truth, and truth they'll call a lie. But we know, Lord, that you are in control, and we ask you, Father, for the Christians for revival, to raise up the church, to stand in the gap and tell the truth for your sake, Jesus, and for ours. <laughs> and it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. You think about the great men of our world, oftentimes you think about struggles that they went through, challenges that they had. You think of George Washington who had to cross the Delaware. You think of Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address and the stand for slavery, against slavery. You think of those like Hoover who dealt with the depression in our society. You think about Richard Nixon and his being indicted and then also removed from office. You look at the Bible and we see there are times too people like Adam and Eve and the lives that they chose for us. You think of Abraham who went and sacrificed, going to sacrifice his son. And we think of also Moses who wrote the Ten Commandments. And then we think of maybe also Thomas who doubted. But there's also one who sticks out in our minds that's kind of like us. That's Peter. 
Peter, who loved his Lord but yet blew it majorly. It was a defining moment in his life. And it's interesting to note that all writers of the gospel all include the episode with Peter because they were all taken by it. But there's only one who had an eyewitness account of that, and that is John. John gave us an eyewitness account of it because he was with him at that point. As we read in the scriptures this morning, it says, I'm and Peter followed Jesus as did another of the disciples. And that's John, the apostle. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, and so he allowed to enter into the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. And Peter had to stay outside the gate, and then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? Peter said, no, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold and the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire, they stood around it, warming themselves. And Peter stood with them, warming himself. Now, as we look at the text today, we see that disciple, John, knew the high priest pretty well. And that he was allowed in and out of the courtyard of the high priest. And yet this woman who was watching wouldn't allow Peter in. And so John helps him. and gets Peter to be able to come in. But in the process, we see what happens. Peter, immediately, the woman sees him and says, weren't you one of those disciples? And the first denial comes out of Peter's mouth, no, I am not. And John then says something that's pretty interesting. He makes a comment about the atmosphere. Now, John's a great writer, and anything you listen to watch John, when things go bad or things are said, John sometimes will give us a little bit more emphasis in his writing about that. And this is one of those times. If you notice, John includes the temperature and the surroundings. Because he knows that as he's written this now, that this is the coldest night in Peter's life. It's very frigid for Peter. Because here, Peter, who had proclaimed to Jesus in the upper room not too long earlier, that they will all leave you, Lord, but not me. Peter was pretty confident, pretty tough. And he was going to stand by Jesus no matter what. And that he was going to be able to help him if an insurrection takes place. And a lot of disciples, and especially they believe Judas, was maybe trying to force Jesus' hand to put in an insurrection. Because they wanted to overtake the Roman government. And they thought Jesus could do it because the crowds were following Jesus. And some believe even Peter was part of that. And here we see Peter, who just a half hour maybe earlier, in the garden. And you remember the story that the, the apostles tell us. Jesus told them to pray, and they had no clue what was coming down the road. He says, pray that you'll be able to withstand this. And here we got Peter. When Judas comes into the garden, he's bringing the soldiers with him. And there's a servant with them also from the high priest. And when Peter sees it, he jumps up, pulls out his sword. He's going to defend Jesus and whacks the ear off of Mar Mar Malchus, the servants that was of the high priest. And Jesus tells him, put it back. And he heals the ear. And then they take Jesus off. Now that's Peter. The defender of the Savior. And then moments later. Getting into the area of the high priest where he's going on trial. Peter. John is stunned by. That this brave Peter. 
The one who was always out of the boat before everybody else was and walked on the water. Who showed Jesus that he loved them greatly. Now all of a sudden, cowers to this little woman that's holding the gate. And he says, no, I am not. He denies it. Reminds me of the time when there was a fellow that I knew who loved the Lord. And there was a group of young men sitting in this lobby that we had. And he was asked about whether he was a Christian or not. And he said, well, kind of, sort of, my parents make me go to church. Well, what about the Jesus? Oh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good stuff. But he's not, almost like he's afraid to admit that he's a Christian. And as they talked for a few moments, he just kind of backed away. And then that weekend, one of the guys who was in that crowd got in a car wreck, lost his life. And that friend continues to carry in his soul the sadness of what he did when he felt like he really denied the Lord because he tried to blow off his Christian faith. Because he was afraid. You see, sometimes we can do that in our own way. Sometimes if it's an off-colored joke. Sometimes somebody asks us about our faith. Sometimes somebody can say a prejudice statement. Those are all really denials of our Lord. And here Peter, strong, intense for Jesus. Now he's in the courtyard... And the little girl asks him, and he says, no, I am not. He's deceiving her. And here it's a cold night, because this is going to be Peter's darkest hour in his whole life, by denying Jesus. He should have been up there with Jesus standing for him. No, instead he's with the crowd, warming himself by the fires of comfort of the society. Sometimes that happens to us. We can easily get caught up into our world and follow the world's way rather than Jesus' way. We've seen it happen to our society that at one time was labeled a Christian culture. And we've seen from Dick Van Dyke's two beds in the house on TV to now they're jumping into bed even at prime time and cursing and using those words. That's how far we've slipped. Had Peter slipped? Was it because of the pressure around him that he buckled? Did Peter find himself buckling to the crowd? We see again, Jesus knew this. We see again Peter standing by the fire with the crowd. They asked him again, you're not one of the disciples, are you? And he replied saying, no, I am not. And in the Greek, it's more intense as he goes along. Here's strong Peter, self-reliant, tough. And instead, hiding out by the fire, denying the Lord the second time. Peter should have been up there standing with Jesus. Instead, he's hiding. Warming himself by the fire. Hanging out with the crowd. And then the third time. It's a household slave that was a relative to the guy whose ear got whacked off by Peter. One of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I see you there in the olive garden with Jesus? And Peter denied it. In fact, other writers say that he cursed it. 
He wanted to make it affirm. I mean, how many times have you heard people use the F-bomb in order to affirm that they really mean business? And here, that's what Peter's doing. But then, immediately, a rooster crowed. And it brings us back to Jesus in that upper room. Telling Peter, Peter, you're going to fall three times. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And now here we see Jesus crowd around him, the high priest and all the court and everybody around him. And isn't it amazing that Christ beams his eyes right to Peter. And Peter sees those eyes. And he remembers in the back of his conscience before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny me three times that you have not known me. And it's at that point that Peter leaves and runs out weeping. What are those eyes saying? Peter, how could you? Peter, remember what I said to you? Peter, you think you're strong enough to handle all this? You can't. Peter, I love you. Peter goes out crying bitterly. You know, I don't know about you, but when you're a strong person, you're a type A personality, and you think you can handle stuff, it's hard for us to accept failure. So that my little granddaughter yesterday, she lost a soccer game, and I thought the world had ended. You know, but she's a competitor. She puts everything in there, and when she loses or she, she makes a mistake, I see this in my, myself when I was a kid playing football and baseball as a child. If I'd strike out, I'd be so mad at myself. And all. And that was, here's Peter. You see, because Peter was bound up in his own strength. And he was so ashamed because he's not like that. I've heard people say that to me. Pastor Dave, I'm not like that. I had a guy who committed a, 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 an act of battery on his wife. And I said to him, but who strangled her? Well, I did. But I'm not like that. You must be like that. Because you did that. And here's Peter. Denies the Lord. Goes out weeping. But you see, when Jesus is connected to us, All failure is not bad. In fact, he can take the failures in our lives and make them good. In fact, Jesus doesn't condemn Peter. Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. In fact, he sticks with Peter. Jesus had told him that he was going to be the head of the church. He's going to lead the church. And Jesus still didn't get off his game plan. That was going to be true. But what we learn here is that Peter needed to fall because he was trusting in himself. And he needed to get off of himself. And he needed to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to help him through leading the church. And being a man of faith and not be strong in his own self because it's disastrous as we see. Because look what Jesus said to him. Simon, Simon, earlier. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. As Martin Luther said, Satan is God's lapdog. And he will use him sometimes in our lives. Sometimes he'll put a trial in our lives in order to change us, to make the changes we need. And that's what he did with Peter here. Peter had to go through this in order for him to become a better leader. And also depend on God and not his own works and strength to get him through it. That's what God wanted from Peter. And Peter had to go through this experience. It's like the grandmother who was 
with her granddaughters and grandson. And she was trying to get them to understand that sometimes God brings things into our life to make us stronger or to bring us to the places that we need to be. And on her counter, she had a carrot. She had an egg. She had a coffee bean. And she said, watch what happens. You know that in this egg, it shakes around and there's stuff inside here. It's all mushy. This carrot, see how hard it is? And they felt it. See this coffee bean? And she put them all in this boiling hot water on the stove. In a few minutes, she pulled them out. And there was the carrot. It was movable. It wasn't hard anymore. It was soft. And the egg, she cracked it and was hard-boiled. It was no longer mushy inside. And then the coffee bean changed the taste of the water. And she said, God does that to us. Sometimes when we're too soft, he has to put the pressure on us to make us hard. Sometimes when we're hard, he needs to put the pressure on us to make us soft. And sometimes he has to do things to put us in the hot seat so that we can change the flavor of our lives and be more usable by him. And you see, this is what happened with Peter. Peter had to get off his self-centeredness and I can do it to trusting Christ. And God brought this about through the sifting. Now it's interesting. Peter had several episodes in the gospel that he could have talked to Jesus. But Jesus didn't have that happen. They were in the upper room. And you remember... There's no mention of Peter ever shining out or asking Jesus anything. A week later, and Thomas wasn't there because Thomas was so angry that Jesus didn't take over as the king. He was so disappointed, he didn't show up with the disciples. And here they all are up in the upper room huddled, and we don't hear anything about Peter even though he's there. A week later... Jesus then deals with another disciple, Thomas. Here's Thomas. Well, unless I feel my hand in his side, put my fingers in his, his where, he, where he was nailed, I, I won't believe. And that's when Jesus deals with him in that room. But not Peter. Not yet. And Peter was hiding back down in Galilee too, and was doing his work as fisherman. And then Jesus, in his timeline, has the face-to-face with Peter. There they are, the disciples fishing. And they see a person on the shore cooking breakfast. And sure enough, it's Jesus. And what we find here is Peter sees him. He must have lost track because impetuous Peter, as he was, jumps in the water and says, it's the Lord, and starts heading towards shore. And as he gets there, Jesus welcomes him, but he's at a loss for words. Because you see, Peter still feeling now the guilt, the betrayal that he gave And what we find here, Jesus approaches him. After they have breakfast, they have fellowship together and then pulls them aside. And in verse 15, we say, and after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I heard my mother say, David Harold, I was in the hopper. I knew it. 
And here we have Jesus now taking the surname of Simon Peter. Wanting him to recognize who he really is and what he's got. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the word that he uses is agape, which means you have the godly love for me that you should. Do you love me more than these? Like he's saying, you remember the disciples that you said, you know, I love you more than them because I will always stand for you. Jesus is working through Peter's grief and remorse, his guilt. And he says, Peter, do you really have that godly love? And Peter's reply is interesting. He says, Lord, you know I love you. And the word he uses is philos. We always hear about Philadelphia. Our new chief talks about Philadelphia. And I reminded him that it's not really the study of brotherly love when they're stealing cars and hijackings and everything. And he says, yeah, you're right. But he says, Jesus, I'm, I'm your friend. I love you as a friend. And Jesus gives him his commission. The one he always has planned for Peter. Peter, feed my lambs. Those tiny little babies who need the word. I need you to lead them and to teach them. I need you to feed them. Those who can't feed themselves. Peter, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. Then the second time, he deals with Peter again. And you notice that it says he talked to him three times about it because we remember Peter three times denied his Lord. And so the second time, he repeats the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me, agape, and Peter says, yes, Lord. You know I philos you. I'm your friend. I have your brotherly love. And Jesus gives him another part of his commission. Take care of the sheep. You're going to be over the church of the world. Take care of the sheep. And then Jesus hits him the third time as he penetrates Peter's remorse and hurt feeling like such a fool and embarrassed all get out because he was such a strong man and now he was Peter not the rock that Jesus called him but the cracked rock that's what he felt he felt like he was a cracked rock and that there was no hope for him and here Jesus tells him to feed his lambs care for the sheep and then Jesus hits him up one more time the third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you philos me? Uh-oh, philos. And notice what it says. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And notice the word Jesus used, philos. Peter, you said you really love me as a brother, did you really love me as a brother? Betraying me like that? Denying me? Would you really love me as a brother? And then Peter says, and he's hurt deep down inside, but Christ is getting down to the deep to root this out so he can forgive himself and that he can see that his need for Christ is in everything that he does. He said, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. I have that Philos love. And Jesus repeats, feed my sheep. He commissions him. And I know sometimes we feel that we failed God. We failed people. There's nothing hurtful more than to be betrayed. And here, Jesus takes Peter broken, cracked, 
wounded by himself. And Jesus wants to restore Peter. And he does. He said, Peter, when I showed you and I told you I want to be head of the church, that's what I want. I want you to feed. I want you to care for the sheep. And you're forgiven, Peter. Peter, I want you to fully love me. Up until this point, you've been trying to impress me and trying to show me that you are the one who's holding our love together. And Peter, you found out you can't hold your love together for me. The only way I, you can love me is that I hold you in my love. And that you're going to let me love you. And not try to prove to me that you're such a great person or a great Christian and a, a stand-up guy. Because you can't. We all fall short, Peter. And you need my forgiveness. And you need my power to do what I'm going to call you to do because you're going to crumble if you don't. And here we have it. Jesus then says to him, I'll tell you the truth, Peter. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. I have a little grand, your granddaughter, one years old and another one seven. And boy, they know what they need and what they do. And they're telling you they're not going to do it or they are. My little granddaughter, one and a half the other day, I said, honey, you got to go do this. No. I guess we're not. <laughs> and she got angry with me because I took something away from her. And here Jesus says to Peter, Peter, when you were young, you were pretty willful. You went out and did whatever you want. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. And then Jesus says to him, but Peter, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And then it says, Jesus said this to him according to John. That he would know what kind of death he would glorify God. And Jesus told him, follow me. This whole episode was orchestrated by God for Peter to make him a better leader. So that he would trust God rather than his own instincts and his own strength. That he would be able to forgive people and bring people who had fallen, who are fallen. We see that with John Mark who... Paul wrote him off when he ran away because he was scared. And Paul didn't want him to come back. And yet Peter took him and restored him back to Paul. Because Peter knew what it was like to fall. And God led Peter to opening the door in the church to the Gentiles through Cornelius. Because he knew what it was like to be an outsider and have failed. And that God used him to bring the Gentiles into the church. God did that by design to build Peter so that he could do that for us. There's things in our own personal life that God puts us through and we sometimes scratch our head. But he does that for a reason. So that we can be stronger for him. Peter is restored here. And God uses him greatly for the kingdom and the start of the church. But he needed to go through this. It was God designed. And that he understood that it's not by his own strength. But it's totally that he's a leader. And he's saved by God's mercy. Where God doesn't give us what we deserve, but doesn't give us what we deserve. But he gives us what we don't deserve, which is Jesus Christ's righteousness. And that's why at the end of his life, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. And because that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that's how come we could be born again. And now we live with great expectation. We have a great hope for the future. 
that we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. It can't be defiled. And that for you, it's beyond the reach of change or decay. We have that hope. And Peter knew this. And John makes that comment about the way he died because at that point, Peter totally understood the grace and mercy of God as he was about ready to die. When the persecutors came for Peter and his wife, they took his wife first and they put her up on the cross and they started saying, Recant, Peter. If you recant, we'll take her down. We won't crucify her. And Peter, by the cross, hands bound, soldiers standing around him said, Honey, it won't be long. You'll be with the Lord. He'll take us home. And Peter watched and would not recant from the faith that he had as he watched his wife die the crucifixion. And then they said, All right, Peter, it's your turn. And Peter said, I have one request that you don't crucify me like Christ, but that you turn the cross upside down because I'm unworthy to die like my Savior. And there we see the eternal life that we all have that will not be tainted or changed or decay or undefiled but it's ours forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the wonderful hope that we have in you, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the wonderful promise that you show us through Peter, who tried so hard to please you and show off for you and be your man and then failed, that you forgave him, you restored him, and you, re- you used the struggle that he went through to make him a better person for your kingdom. I just pray for us, Lord, that we see that every day. And that, you, Lord, as you make us better, that we trust you. We rely upon your strength in our lives as we walk this life. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we do that, Lord... We give you thanks and praise for the hope that we have, not only on this earth, but the hope we have in heaven. That whether we live or whether we die, we're yours. We thank you for your mercy, for not giving us what we deserve. Because we know what we deserve. We thank you by your grace that you give us what we don't deserve. Thank you, Christ, for your love. And as we celebrate this communion supper, Lord, may we honor you and thank you for the reminder for this supper of what you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me.
Remembrance of the brokenness of Jesus for our brokenness. Amen. Also in the same manner, Jesus took the cup. When they had supped, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away and covered all our sins. Lord, we want to thank you for taking our brokenness that sin does to our life. And that you bring healing and washing it away with our, the blood of your son, Jesus. And bringing us the healing that we need and the strength to carry on. We just give you such honor and glory because we thank you for such great a salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing our closing song but also receive the benediction. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. Amen.